Good morning. Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you have them, to the passage for today. Exodus, it is, chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. And there it is. It reads this way. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, and they are too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built, <coughs> pardon, they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Not surprising, eh? And the more they spread abroad, the Egyptians were in dread of the people. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work on, as slaves and made their lives bitter in mortar. They built in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, I would very much like to continue reading and see what Dave, Dave does with the women in verses 18. Go ahead, read that when you get home. But this ends the reading of the word for today. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Tom. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Have a great week. Um, no, <laughs> Tom's trying to work me out of a role here. Um, oh, thank you, Tom. It's good. Uh, and we are going to get into some of that together. Uh, so good morning. My name is Dave. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I typically do the bulk of the preaching. Um, if you're new or you've never um, heard me preach before, I just want to introduce myself and also let you know I have a stutter. It'll kind of come in and out as, as we go, and um, let's just give you, give you a, a heads up on that. And um, we're going to go ahead and start to get into our time here pretty quickly in Exodus. We're starting a new book of the Bible, which we're really excited about. And um, I was even thinking through as I prepped just how many books of the Bible we've gotten to walk through since we started. But I remembered that we have a, uh, we have our, our f five year anniversary from when we launched as a, as a church plant. And that's coming up in like two weeks. So we'll, we might walk through that then. Yeah. A little, little excitement. So, um, and by the way, just a little education. When we clap, sometimes I know like some of us are like, I don't praise men or people. I'm not going to clap. I won't do that. Um, in uh, the church I was baptized in and kind of grew up in um, a predominantly African-American church, it was called giving God a hand praise. Okay, so we're not clapping for us. We're not doing, but we're giving God a hand praise. All right, amen. Let's do it. Let's practice. Giving God a hand praise together. So... So we can cheer and whenever, and that's what we're doing, okay, in case any of us are a little, um, I don't know, stiff, and we, we are hesitant. That's what it is. So um, let's go ahead and get into our Bibles together, okay? So Exodus 
Turn there with me, Exodus chapter 1. If you have one, I will do a bit of setup, if you will, to, before we get into it. But if you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and we'll get you a copy of God's Word. Um, y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, um, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en el libro de Éxodo. Where are you at, Mrs. Boyd? Señora Boyd? Yes, was that right? Éxodo. Is that right? I don't even know where you are, but I heard it. Okay, I tried. I looked it up online in um, some of the books I know right off the bat. But anyway, so get in there again. As I said, um, this is our gift to you, okay? If you don't own a Bible, please keep this, okay? It's, oh yeah, sorry, I got my kids right here. Graduates of Davis Bilingual Elementary. Yes, um, but uh, I don't know that they know Exodus. Did you know that? Okay, see, all right, thank you. We're honest here. We, um, so anyway, it's our gift to you, okay? So as we get into our time here together, um, let's kind of find ourselves as we get into Exodus. And we're going to be in it for the next couple of months, and we're going to settle in. We're going to learn and grow and be shaped by God's Word, and I'll share some more about that throughout our, our time. But um, think of it this way, all right? As you go into any book of the book Bible, it's helpful to know kind of what we're entering into, where we're going, what we're walking through, what we can expect. And, and, and if you've seen movies like The Sixth Sense or The Count of Monte Cristo or something like that, and I know those are old school, but as you're walking through those movies, and I... Um, Sorry, I won't get into all the what's going on, spoiler alerts. It's been a long time, right? If you don't know now, you're probably never going to know what's going on. But throughout each of those movies, there's a character who's making themselves known to everyone else in the movie. And there's a sense throughout the time of kind of some aha moments, and it's normally at the very end where there's like, Oh, and in some of them, I won't give it all away, uh, the audience also is like, oh, wow, didn't know that. Well, What's happening as we walk through Exodus, right? The last couple books of the Bible we've been in have been what are referred to as epistles or letters from someone to another person or group of people. Well, this is not that. This is not a letter. It's an epic. It's an epic story, and, 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 and it's a true story. Okay, that's incredibly important for us to know, and as I get into it, we'll, I'll, I'll kind of explain some more about that, why that's important, but it's, it's a story, and the big idea that we're walking through is this. It is God is making himself known in a world where he has been long forgotten, and everyone throughout this story, this true story as we walk, is, is learning about God, is remembering or for the first time um, re- being uh, understanding or being revealed to Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, all power and intimately engaged in the goings on of the world. And so it's important that we understand these things. And again, it's a true story. Okay, we believe here as a church, as Redemption Tucson, in what's referred to as the historicity or the historical truth. So as we read Exodus together, we believe this stuff actually happened. Amen? And that's important for all of us because for some, we're, we're probably coming in and, and we think, of, okay, the Bible's like good stories. It's kind of given like take and give, you know, what you will and kind of speak sprinkle into your life here and there. And then um, for some of us, 
We would say with our mouths, I believe in the historical truth of Scripture, but our approach is often, rather than submitting to the Scriptures, which are living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, to inf- uh, inform and more than that, transform our lives, we tend to approach the Bible um, as though we're coming from a neutral place and we can kind of chop it up and inspect it and investigate it and even use it to uh, affirm the things that we want to affirm and not submit to the things that we want to submit to. And so, uh, again, as even or especially in this first week together in Exodus chapter 1, and all throughout, I think every one of us in this room will be both encouraged and implicated. Okay, there's, there's a lot of challenge. And so I just want to give you that heads up on the front end. And, and now as we pray, and um, we, we come with a posture and an expectation that God's, we're not just going to be informed. We're not just going to open our heads and download some truth like academically. God is revealing himself. Again, to a people, the first audience, the first people that would have read Exodus, God is revealing himself in the story to the people involved, the Israelites and those from from Egypt, and then also to the people that are reading way long, like about 4,000 plus years ago, and then also to us today. And so this is what we'll see this morning as we walk through it, this big idea, is we'll see that, that, that God is working, is the first section, and then we see that God cares. And then we see that God cannot be stopped. And so again, as we pray right now, will you pray with me as we face this question that we'll come around to at the end of our time together in Exodus 1, is this, how will you respond to the God who's making himself known? And that applies to every one of us in this room. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and ask him to oversee our time together. Heavenly Father, we come before you expectantly, humbly. Uh, We know that that we need you. We can read this book as a sterile, stagnant book or an old historic book, or we can read it in such a way that we use it that we think we're the authority. Um, or through your spirit, we can have soft hearts, open ears, open eyes, and, and, and then be prepared to respond individually and as a community, or to be shaped, formed, to grow into the very likeness of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God is working. Pick up with me now. And I, uh, Tom would have probably done a better job walking through all these names than I will, but we're going we're gonna to start out. Chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Okay, so what's going on here? Why are these names important? Why are the names always important as we read through here? Well, again, um, what's going on here is, is the first people reading this it would be really helpful to hear these names mentioned because you, it would be a reminder that God is working. 
Because what's happening here is, is, is in the story of the Exodus, it's, it's over 400 years, about 430 years after what we just read there, where, um, where it ended in verse 6, Joseph died. So uh, about, about 30 years before that, this, this guy named Israel, right? The sons of Israel, chapter one, verse one, whose, whose name was actually um, Jacob. So he, he comes to Egypt from Israel. And then after about 30 years went by, the people of God entered into slavery. And then about 400 years went on of apparent like silence, of just suffering and, and struggle and oppression and, and asking God, where are you? What are you doing? And so for the people that would have read this, it would be like finding your, finding your last name or finding your family. If you have like a big family and you have a family reunion or something like that, right? And there's a big picture. As you read through this, you would see, oh, okay, there I am in there. I'm connected to that tribe or that family. So as we enter in to help us understand that, let's kind of backtrack a, a bit, okay? So again, time Timeline-wise, it's about 1450 BC would be the time of the Exodus. Okay, so about 430 or so years before that would be, if I did my math right, about um, 1880, right? 1880 BC. And so what happened in that time frame was there was a people, um, God's people, who were, who were struggling, who were in, in famished, there was food, they, there was a food shortage, and they needed to get somewhere. So, okay, so, so, so stick with me there, okay? They needed help. They were calling out to God. So, so, so kind of put a finger, if you will, or in your mind of knowing where we are. So let's backtrack all the way to Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, we talked through this even some last week, but in the very beginning, God created man in his image. And he said, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And he, he's forming a people whose identity and purpose would be shaped on him and all of life would be good and perfect. There would be no shortage of food. There would be no identity crises, no confusion of purpose, of what to do, and all these things. And then in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the picture. In short, that's thanks but no thanks God, my identity, my purpose, my work, my value, all that I do. I don't want it to be connected to you. I want to do it my way. And just even there, pause for a moment. We, um, in our world, right, we, we see things that are not the way they should be. They're broken. And we just sometimes chalk it up to, well, you know, what are you going to do? Or, uh, you know, kids these days. Or, or even worse, like, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's just, you know, we're watching the news. It's getting worse. And we think this. And it can always, it should trace itself back to the reality of Genesis 3, of, of as I mentioned earlier, right, God's making himself known. Well, there once was a time in Genesis 1 and 2 where he didn't have to do that, where his people walked with him constantly. There was direct relationship, but then when sin enters in, God's been forgotten. His ways have been ignored, and, and, and it just got worse and worse. So now we're in Genesis 11, as I'm walking through the story. In Genesis 11, what's known as the Tower of Babel, it, hum, humanity, God's image bearers, reached this point of almost no return, of let us basically become like God. Let us build this thing. And I'll just really quickly, because this is exciting, um, brick and mortar, right? That word was used further down there in verse 14, where they're using brick and mortar, where the same thing. That was, in this time, people would read, 
need that, and I didn't plan on doing this. I'm kind of nerding out on this right here, but, but brick and mortar would be like this idea of what, what man could do um, apart from God, would use man-made products to try to be equal with God. And not that man-made products are, are, are a bad thing like in our day, but, but earlier people would use the, 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 the supplies that God gave, right? Rocks and wood and different things like that. And so the, the symbolism or the imagery here used is it, it's getting further and further away from, from, from trusting God, right? From, from Genesis 1 and 2, from identity and purpose. So God steps in, um, Genesis 11, verse 5, and, 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 and disperses the people, confuses their language, and then it's seemingly hopeless, right? The people are, are all separated, separated from God, separated from each other. But then in Genesis chapter 12, God steps in and says to one man, Abraham, he now focuses in, and he says, your family is going to be a blessing to the entire world. But there's a problem. He doesn't even have any kids yet. He's like, my family, uh, my wife is old, I'm old, we can't get pregnant. Um, you know, sorry, God, that's a bad plan. Well, fast forward, God's plan comes to fruition, and I'll just fast forward a little bit more now. He finally has a son named Isaac, and, and so, okay, good, good start, right? You got one kid, now you're apparently going to bless the entire world through that. And then Isaac um, has two kids, and he has twins, and it's Jacob and Esau, and um, I could go into all that. Jacob, he loved. Esau, he hated. And we talked about Reformed theology a couple weeks ago. I, that's a place to go, by the way, to kind of flesh out some of that. And um, anyway, sorry, I just opened up a new can of worms. Welcome. So then, finally, Jacob, like, ups the ante a little bit, okay? He's got 12 kids, okay? So Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, which means one who wrestled with God. And so then, because um, there's, there's constant tension. Well, he's got 12 kids. Well, one of his kids is Joseph, okay? Now we're finding ourselves back here in Exodus. And basically, Joseph's the second um, youngest of this, all these 12 kids. Well, his older brothers, those of us who have older brothers could probably relate but maybe it's even worse. He gets beat up, not just beat up like most of us did. He actually gets sold into slavery. And then we're told, well, what man intended for evil, God used for good, because that brought Joseph to Egypt. And then Joseph's family, who are now struggling and starving and all these things, Joseph has been given favor, and his family comes and joins him. And then again, about 30 years after that, as we read here, he dies, and um, and, and the new king forgot about God's favor revealed through this family. And so now the people are in this place wondering, well, how are we supposed to be a blessing to the nations? We've been 400 years. Imagine that. That's older than our country, like about twice the age almost. Like that's a long time older, right? And just imagine a whole history. You're like, well, surely God's forgotten. But that brings us up to speed now, and this will be again throughout the entire book of Exodus. God's making himself known. Specifically in these first verses, he's revealing he is still at work. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And even in um, this, this, this language used, by the way, let, read with me in verse 7. It says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This, by the way, we might read that and just want to skip right through. This is bursting with language from Genesis 1, Genesis 2, 
And then again, as I mentioned, Genesis 12, when God promised, when God had a plan, when he says, be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 12, when he says, I will multiply you greatly and your name will be a blessing to the entire world. Okay, this, this same language used here is now kind of beginning to ignite for God's people. Oh, God really is working. And then in this next section, we start to see a challenge to God's work, to God's plan. This, this new character is introduced, Pharaoh. But, but as we see that any opposition to God's working is a direct opposition to God. And then as we'll see in the very end, God can't be stopped. Okay, but God is working, and this is good news. This is a reminder to his people to, 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 to find themselves in his story. Because no matter what kind of oppression you're facing, no matter what kind of hopelessness there seems to be, no matter how much time has gone by, in their case, 400 years, God is working. And then now pick up in verse 8 as we walk through this with these people, and we see the opposition. Now verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Verse 10, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And just by the way, real quick, because I can't get into all this, they were, Egypt was in a serious opposition with Assyria. And there was this fear that if Assyria comes, and Israel's like right in between, by the way, well, these people who are there, they're going to join up with the Assyrians. And so there was a very real fear. It's not hypothetical. It's if we're at war with the Assyrians, and all of a sudden, these people, which, um, backtrack real quick, it's about 2.2 million people now. Just, and I could get into how we know all that because 600,000 warriors are mentioned and you factor in how big each family was, whatever. About 2.2 million. So it went from, right, 12 families, which equaled 70 people when they first came to Egypt, multiplied over this time. And now they're about the size of Chicago. 2.2 million people. So anyway, there's a, a serious, real fear there from Egypt. And then picking up in verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So what we've, going on, what we've got going on here is uh, oppression, is, is poverty, is struggle, is slavery. And again, this question, God, where are you in it? You're, you, these people, it, what we just walked through right now in a short time, right, of the history, the story of God, the, the true story of the entire universe. These people would have known all of it through and through. They would have known every name, every, every event. They would have had it internalized, and yet practically, foundationally, in their gut level, there would be this sense of like, but it's probably not real. It's probably intellectual. It's probably out there, but it doesn't really apply to my everyday life. But then we read here this, this, this accounting of, of what they're struggling through, what they're suffering through. And this language, like, 
Let's, let's just enter in here. Verse 8 is used there, language of fear, right? The, the Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, and what we, we should know there is that means then he didn't know Joseph's God. Okay, so there's, there's, a, there's a misunderstanding or an ignorance, okay, hear me, an ignorance of God, okay, not knowing God. And then look what results in that. Anxiety, fear, deep-seated fear that reveals itself, hear me now, in a fear of the other, in a fear of what might come, of what the outcome will be. And in this case specifically, there's a fear that these um, you know, aliens, if you will, these outsiders, these Israelites will, will somehow take over. They, they will somehow um, disrupt the foundation, the strong foundation of who we are as a nation. These outsiders will, will, will shake us up. And, 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 and the action plan, right? He says, he, says um, he dealt with them shrewdly. So he established a political plan to keep the other down, or another way of thinking it, to keep Egypt at the top of the food chain. Okay, this sense of, well, let's increase their work. Let's, let's put a heavy burden on them so they stay where they should, and we will stay where we should, because then we can be safe and secure. Now, this is for right now, in this moment, and for the entire rest of the book. I, I think we need to pause for a moment, and I need to have a little kind of defining the relationship together, a little pastoral moment. That as I've been pouring over this book, and we just came out of a series that was pretty inflammatory, if you will. As I said earlier, Exodus encourages and implicates all of us. And even already, as I've talked, it might sound like I'm using some language from the left, right? The political left or the political right. And here's the deal. As we walk through Exodus, I would have to go out of my way to not use language that sounded like that. To not talk about aliens in a foreign land, right? To not address the reality of immigration that's here. And I want to acknowledge that's going to be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. And, and, and here's the deal, too. This is important for us to understand. It, it's, it's also going to, down in verse 16, we'll come to this in a bit, but just right now, he's talking about what goes on with these, these Hebrew midwives, and, and basically the command is given to, to kill children right when they're born. And I'll just, right away, language is used of infanticide or abortion, and then similarly, fear of the other, okay, immigration, and, and this stuff is just there. This is God's word, and what's important for us, as I acknowledge, even as I say abortion, that's a heavy, weighty word. There are likely people in here who have been affected, who've either had abortions, been a part of paying for abortions, know someone who has just walked through, and I don't say that lightly. I acknowledge it's heavy, it's weighty, it's sad, it's, it's devastating. And I want to go back to just saying we're a place where you can be known. There is no, 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 no power ultimately over our lives that Jesus and his work can't save us from, can't redeem us from. We want to love and walk through and pray with and, 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 and be a, a community for. But at the same time, we can't 
church it up. We can't try to, try, to, try to soften the edges, if you will, and not acknowledge the reality of God's word that, again, implicates us. And then on the flip side, there are, might be people, as we talk about immigration and, and things like that, that it sounds like, oh, we're getting too left, we're getting too liberal, things like that, that we could come back and say, well, we're, we're talking about the kingdom of God here. And, and, and we, there's going to be language that doesn't fit neatly in the left or the right. And, and I just want to, again, call us out right here and pastor us and bring us to where we are actually as a church right now, is we've gotten really used to, this church specifically and the American Evangelical Church as a whole, and I would say probably throughout the history of God's people, we want to be pretty comfortable. We want what it means to be God's people to kind of fit pretty neatly into our overall structure of life. We've got a, uh, uh, we, and we even have now built churches that fit pretty neatly and cleanly into, oh yeah, right here, I can talk about abortion and that fits pretty neatly into my overall worldview and my overall structure and approach to life. But anything that implicates me financially or with regard to the other or to immigration, that, whoa, that sounds, that sounds out there. Or on the flip side, I'm all about loving my neighbor and talking about loving the, the, the foreigner or the undocumented immigrant. And um, I, I'm, I'm all about that. But we start talking about a sexual ethic. Um, that's, whoa, that's kind of, that's out there. That's right, right? That's the other side. Hear me right now. Jesus and the kingdom he has come to usher in. The way he taught us to pray, Father who is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, the kingdom of heaven, we're told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, is narrow and difficult. It implicates all of us. It doesn't fit neatly anywhere. Jesus said, listen, um, my kingdom, what I'm doing, the way that leads to life is narrow and difficult, and those who find it are few. And from Exodus 1, I am convinced it includes a radical life-altering posture and understanding that we are called to have toward people not like us, the other, the marginalized, the impoverished those who have less power, those who are, I'll just say straight up in this case, asylum seekers, those who are found in a foreign land. And it also implicates us to deeply consider, well, how I use my finances, how I vote, how I relate with others, how I use language about the unborn, about children, in not, not calling them anything other than living beings, souls, helpless, marginalized. And, and when we, our very first sermon as a church plant, we, we walked through the reality of Jesus and his interaction with the rich young ruler, who I won't re-preach that whole sermon right now, but in a nutshell, here's the big idea, was he had his whole ethic that following Jesus would have fit neatly into. And Jesus poked on the one thing that would, that ultimately revealed he didn't want to surrender to Jesus as Lord. Well, Jesus, I can follow you and all this stuff, but I'll keep my, my bank account out, off limits. And Jesus poked that and said, give it all to the poor. And the guy walked away sad. 
And, and what we talk about here as a church is this. Listen, we can all take comfort in knowing we're going to be uncomfortable together. And let me be clear on that. That's not for discomfort's sake. It's because the reality of following Jesus, of being a part of his kingdom, is he's going to reveal idols in all of us. Idols are anything that we center our lives around that are not God. That going back to Genesis 1 and 2, that is, God said everything, your identity, your purpose, everything you do in life, let it flow from me. And we have all like sheep gone astray, each one to his own way. John Calvin famously said, our, the human heart is an idol factory or a fabricator of idols. We all come up with things to replace God. And as we follow Jesus, as we put our trust in him, he reveals those and he deals with them. And because we have a more eclectic community, there are going to be things like that where we, 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 we push on a fear of the other. And I think God in his word, not just me and my agenda, is, is exposing and dealing with. And some are saying, amen, amen, because I don't deal with that one. Amen, easy, go, pastor, preach, like that's good. And others are like, oh, you're, you're getting too close. Whoa, 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 you're like back up, right? You, you're, that's not good. And, and, then, and, then, and then others, other things are hit on. And the same people that were just saying amen are like, ouch, whoa, back up. And then others are like, oh, now, it's, now amen, now I'm with you, right? And again, I don't, it's a razor thin edge to walk, and I think that's the reality of the kingdom of God that he's ushering in. And as we implicate ourselves, as we submit to God's word, we see this. The things he cares about don't just fit neatly and nicely into our world. And as he talks about these things, as we read here in, in, about the evil and the sin going on, let me, as we walk through this whole book, we get so quick to say, oh, I'm Israel, I'm Israel, and all my enemies and all the people that kind of I struggle with, they're Egypt. But I think as we read this right now in our day, we are both Israel, we're, ex we're, we're, we're Egypt, there are times where we're the oppressor, there are times when we're the oppressed, um, the fact that if you're a Christian or you're a part of this church, the fact that we are uh, both Americans and the church, I th in some cases, we are Egypt. We are the most powerful, privileged nation in the world right now. That's just reality. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. We shouldn't apologize for it. It's just reality. So there are elements where we are more closely connected to Egypt here than Israel. On the flip side, we're God's people. We're, we're, we're seeking to follow him in a world that's constantly forgetting him. And so as we walk through this, we need to, we need wisdom, we need discernment, we need compassion, we need submission. We need to be encouraged where we need to be encouraged, and God's word does that. We need to be implicated. Lord, we, I pray that we would be humble enough, that we would trust him enough to be shaped, even when it's challenging and painful. And again, just to, to recognize when we say it's, we're all going to be uncomfortable together, it's because of this. Idols don't go quietly. It's a painful process. Putting to death what is not God, what is anti-Christ, is painful. 
But the good news we can have here as we submit is, and I think the overarching message here to God's people then and to us today in verses 8 through 14, and there's a lot more that I want to go into, but for sake of time, I'm not going to, is this, is that God cares. He's involved. They think they've forgotten him. They think he's, he's somewhere out there, not, not involved, but he cares. He's at work. He loves and protects the oppressed. And he loves enough. I, he loves it, Egypt enough too. We, we'll go into this in future weeks, but some Egyptians actually join with the Israelites when they eventually leave in about 15 chapters from now, by the way. When they finally leave, there are Egyptians with them. So, so God's love here is such that his implication, his, his direct harsh rebuke, and his gentle care all go together as he makes himself known. And then this good news is, and I know Tom stopped and even talked about it right there, right? But we saw that, 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 that in verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And that's just true. God's people flourish. No matter what, he cannot be stopped. And this is true. This is just good news on an individual level and on a corporate level, often under oppression, when we're saying, God, I can't see where you're at. I can't see what you're doing. We don't have to always make sense of it in the moment, but in his word, we see that he works even or sometimes often through oppression, through difficulty, through struggle, because God can't be stopped. Is this last part where we find ourselves picking up in verse 15. This one I like to think of is just that came to mind here is God can't stop, won't stop. All right, so pick up with me in verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew wives, okay, so, so they're continuing to multiply and there's fear and then there's like, well, I gotta do something. I gotta, I gotta up the ante. I need to ratchet up the oppression and God's like, that's okay. Verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, you, she shall live. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Okay, civil disobedience, by the way, right here, okay? Corey Tinboom, all kinds of like, this is evident there. We don't need to go into all that, but it happens a lot throughout Scripture and the New Testament, Old Testament, and this is one place of it, okay? Honoring God first and foremost. And then picking up. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, I love this. They're kind of throwing shade on Egyptians a little bit. Just look for it. It's fun. Okay. They answer, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, insert weak, um, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <laughs> like they're so tough and so strong. They just give birth early, right? And then get right back to work. So, so, so they did that. And then this, and then, um, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. 
So again, I just want to point out, it's more just for fun. Like you see that even in this civil disobedience, they get called out for it. Uh, the, the king of Egypt, the, the Pharaoh's like, what's going on? What are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, sorry, we Hebrew women are just so tough. Like you Egyptian women, your Egyptian women aren't as tough. Um, and, and then, but, but what, what, we, what we pick out here, the king of Egypt, what's, what's his name again? Doesn't matter. We don't know. Um, who, who, which, which Pharaoh came right before this one is who knows? doesn't matter in a history class. It matters, right? That's all that matters. We're going to find that out. We're going to dig in. We're going to find all this stuff. We're going to look for all that. Who, who's, who's the king? Who's the Pharaoh? You can go to different museums today and see bones and tombs of Pharaohs. And you could get a PhD in the Pharaohs of Egypt. That's a big deal. But according to God's word, according to his economy of importance, who matters here? Two women, Shifra and Hua. We learn something about the God who's making himself known in a world where he's been so long forgotten. What he cares about is very different. And we need to, as we submit to over this next series, God's word, we need to recognize where our lenses are different than God's, where our economy of power is different than God's. We could very easily read this and miss a lot of things. Let me read something. We read this, I I shared this with you a number of, I think even years ago when we walked through a different series, but here's some lenses to help us for how we read this. Imagine a history of colonial America written by Cherokee Indians and African slaves. That would be a different way of telling the story. And that's what the Bible does. It's the story of Egypt told by the slaves, the story of Babylon told by the exiles, the story of Rome told by the occupied. I just need to read the Bible standing on my head. I need to change my perspective If I can accept that the Bible is trying to lift up those who are unlike me, for the majority of us, this is true, then perhaps I can read the Bible right. As we close this morning and enter onto a journey together that's uncomfortable, and I say that because I want you to hear the goal as a church is not to just grow numerically, is not to keep everyone comfortable, It's for us to be shaped, transformed by the word of God as the people of God. And the fact that he goes out of his way to mention two midwives, Hebrew midwives, and to, I think, very intentionally not name the Pharaoh, the most powerful human on the face of the earth at the time. It's because God is showing us about who he is, about what he cares about, about how he operates. And in that last verse of chapter one, the Pharaoh commanded at all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. He continues to ratchet it up. This isn't working. Make it worse. Make it harder. Make it more difficult. File the burden even greater. And ultimately, God won't be stopped. 
And we'll see in the, in the coming weeks, in the coming chapters, his mission will continue. So as we close, I talked about we can all be encouraged and implicated. How do we respond? What's the application? What do we do with this this morning? I want to go back to how do you respond to the God who's making himself known? First, some of us here are, there's a spiritual mm, mm, message. Okay, time out, real quick pause. I want, because this is me, this is us, our tendency is to only read Exodus with spiritual individual lenses. How is Jesus the true and better Exodus? How does Jesus set us free from the slavery of sin and oppression that is personal and individual and spiritual? That's there, 100%, absolutely. And so right now, I want to acknowledge that. The, the, the greater story of God's word, there is a clear individual, personal, spiritual message here of slavery, of, of God revealing himself individually to people who don't know him. And I'm sure there are many of us here this morning that that's you. You don't know God. You don't have a personal relationship with him. Your identity and your purpose has been muddled, confused. You felt enslaved to, to sin, to a life of trying to make it your own way, walking away from God. His message this morning is that he's at work. He cares. He's calling you to himself. So again, I ask you, how do you respond to him? Will you put your faith in him? He sent his son Jesus to set you free. The language is rich and full here of redemption. That's set free from slavery. Will you respond to your redeemer who's calling you to put your trust in him and to be set free, to be forgiven, to be accepted? And then... There's also a broader reality, again, as we read this here. Where, is, where are you and I a lot like Pharaoh, a lot like Egypt? Where is there abuse of power? Where is there fear of the other? Where is there, I'll take it into my own hands and, and just keep going and keep r- r- ratcheting it up. Like a, like a kid who's caught in a lie and is like, um, I'm just going to dig my heels in and keep digging more and more and more. I think some of us here this morning, the, the, the real message is, listen to this, the, the kingdom of heaven is narrow and difficult. And we're implicated by God's word. And, and the call is, where will you submit? As we'll see in the next 15 chapters, Pharaoh will not, time and time and time again. He digs his heels in more. There's a, someone once said, there's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. And then God's people, Israel, his message here is to remain faithful, is to look to him, is to see that he is working, that he cares, that he cannot and will not be stopped. And so his call is to find ourselves in his story. He's at work. He hasn't forgotten. And so now as we respond together, we're going to come before the Lord's table, the perfect Passover feast. As we walk through our time of response, I think that will come to life a little bit more, that we remember this perfect, true Passover supper where Jesus has set us free. Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. So again, how do we respond together and individually to Almighty God who's making himself known? Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the good news and the hard news that you're at work. You are working in our lives individually, in the world as a whole. Lord, I pray that we as a church right here in Tucson, Arizona, at this time, we will find ourselves. Lord, we will participate in your story. We will be good stewards of the influence and power that you've given us, Lord, that we will, we will see that you care. You care for us. You care for the other. And Lord, you cannot and will not be stopped. And I pray that that will continue to be good news for us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.